Welcome to Way Family Church. This is our sermon podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. We pray that this message will be a blessing to you as you seek God through His Word. We invite you to join us in person every Sunday at 10.30 a.m. We would love to meet you. Or you can also visit us online at wayfamily.church. All right, we are going to be in Isaiah, the 11th chapter. Man, I'm honored to be here today, excited about Brandon and uh, Sandy, excited about you, excited about what God's doing here uh, in this place through you guys. And uh, we've, we've been praying for Brandon. I've known him this past, got to know him this past year as we started to come this way. So uh, we connected up. So uh, really, really proud of him and proud of you for your awesome, awesome work here and uh, seeing the church uh, get planted here. I've planted this will be my fourth. So what you guys are doing in the process of planting this church, I've done before. So I know what uh, setup looks like and uh, all of those things. So uh, what's cool is everything that you see, somebody touched and, and made happen so you can, and some of you did it for yourselves, but for others so that, so that you could be here today and experience God uh, with us together. Been waiting on uh, being able to preach uh, here and uh, getting excited over the week, uh, things. But you, do you like to wait on stuff? It's one of my least favorite things. How many of you like to hunt? You're hunters. See, when I would ask that in Texas, they'd go, <laughs> they'd be all about it. Hunting is not something I like to do. You have to get up early, which I don't like. Uh, you have to be cold, which I don't like. I live in Arizona for a reason. Uh, uh, you, you, have to, uh, you have to fail a lot. And then you have to wait on things patiently. And I don't like to wait uh, on things. And, and when we talk about Advent, we're talking about a time of waiting. Waiting for this Christ to come, this Jesus to come, this Messiah to come. And some of you might say, uh, well, boy, well, I hope it rains this afternoon or Boy, I hope the Chargers beat the Cardinals, Brandon would like. I hope the Chargers beat the Cardinals uh, this afternoon. Uh, I hope the Cowboys make it to the Super Bowl. Some of you, you know, even God cannot do some things, guys. I mean, you know, I mean, just, uh, but we say that, and it's like we wish, we just hope. But this word hope in scriptures is a great deal more than just, oh, I wish it would rain. And then if it doesn't, you know, the meteorologist was just wrong again. Or I just wish that they would ask me to prom or whatever. It's, it's dependent. This promise, this hope that we have is dependent upon the trustworthiness of the one who gives the promise. And we're talking about the God of the universe. We're talking about the God who loves us. We're talking about the God who revealed himself to us. And you can count on him. I had a friend, he said, you can count on him like Jesus. Because you can't count on anything much more than that. Jesus is the one you count on. The trustworthiness of the one who makes the promise is what makes the hope happen. It's an assured, an assured Future. So write that one down because it's totally different than what we talk about when we say, 
I hope something. Hope isn't wishful thinking. It's a guaranteed future. And as we go into this Advent time of waiting, these people were waiting for a promised Messiah for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. They would pass this down to the next person, to the next generation. And over and over, people would come and people would go. People would live and people would die. And there was no Messiah. And yet they hoped, knowing that the God of the universe had made this promise that it would happen. And guess what? One day, it happened. It really happened. And when we talk about Advent, there's that not yet happening, and then Jesus came. And then we also have a promise that Jesus will return. Yet again, the second coming. See, Advent's not just about Christmas. Advent's about Christmas. He came, he has come, and he will come again. So Advent is about looking forward as those people did. Will it ever happen? Or will you not ever, ever hear say, Man, he's as slow as Christmas. Man, that guy's as slow as Christmas. You know, Christmas, there's still December. There's still 24 hours in the day. There's still seven days in the week. It's not different than it was. And all these other states can change time and try to mess with it if they want to. It's still the same time. But it feels like it's just never going to happen, doesn't it? So, well, you know, We'll be doing that till Jesus comes back. And we make it like a thing, or it's slow as Christmas. Jesus actually came, and Jesus actually returned. And this prophecy that we're looking at in Isaiah happened 700 years before Jesus actually showed up. And this wishful thinking turned into a reality for these people. Let's start here in Isaiah, the 11th chapter. We'll look uh, through verse 1 through 4 to start with. Then a shoot will spring from the stem of Jesse. We're going to go through a lot of scriptures today and uh, kind of set up, this, set up this Advent season. I want this season to be different for you, not just another present giving thing. I want you to experience who Jesus is this season, maybe in a way that you've never done before. And as these people expectantly waited for Jesus, I want you to expectantly hope that Jesus does something in you this season that will encourage you, that will convict you, that will make you want to be more like him, that will make you expectant toward the future that is going to be ours and will make a difference in how you live. Here, the root of Jesse, from the stem of Jesse. Jesse is King David's dad. And we'll go through that in just a little minute. But this is the promise, 700 years ahead. A branch from his roots will bear fruit. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. Does that sound like Jesus? The Spirit of wisdom and understanding. Huh, Jesus. The Spirit of counsel and strength. The Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. He will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what his eyes see, nor make decisions by what his ears hear. But with righteousness, he will judge the poor. Who does that sound like? All of these prophecies about 
Jesus, decide with fairness for the humble of the earth. Jesus, exactly as he was described. We're going to go to the Grand Canyon, God willing, here in a couple of weeks uh, because some of our families have never been there before. And you've been to the Grand Canyon, right? Except all the Arizonans are like, I've never been. You know, they like, just live here. It's a place. It's a big hole. And it's exactly as described. And you, you see the pictures, you know, it is exactly what it looks like. But let me tell you, when you see it with your eyes, you're like, whoa, that is a Grand Canyon. I wonder why they call it that, you know? It's pretty grand. We look at it, and this is what heaven is going to be like. This is what Jesus was like to those shepherds that we'll talk about here uh, over this season. This is what Jesus was like to the wise men the, that, that we're going to talk about over this season. It was just like it was described, but when they saw him with their own eyes, it was an amazing thing. And when Jesus returns, it's exactly what he says it's going to be like. Heaven is exactly like it's described. But when we see it with our own eyes, I'm imagining that it's going to seem like a brand new experience, like it was nothing like it was described, even though it's exactly like it was described. God promised that Jesus would come, and he came. And listen, God always keeps his promises. You can always count on God's promises. There was a problem for God. God has problems too, aren't you? So of course we're most of them, but anyway, that's a different sermon. God has problems too. He created these people from the clay of the ground, from the dust of the earth, the Bible says. And these people were in a perfect spot. Man, they had, it, they, had it, they had it all, except they were vegetarians. That was a major mistake. But other than that, that came on later. Uh, guys, the jokes don't get any better, so, I mean. Uh, but they, they, were, they had this place. They called it a garden. It was a, a grove of trees. It was a place where they had everything they wanted, in abundance, all that they needed. Pretty cool outfit. And yet it wasn't enough. God must be holding out on me. There's something more. There's something greater to know. There's something other to experience. God doesn't want me to experience. So they did eat from this fruit. And it wasn't that the fruit had some kind of magical powers that made them yucky all of a sudden. It was the heart of the matter. We just talked about the heart of worship. Their heart was bent away from God. Their heart moved away from God. And this is the same story that each one of you and I have had. Here I am preaching at you, and I'm the same as you. Messed up, broken, in need of a Savior. I need a baby Jesus too, just like you do. We need this Jesus to come and to save us. So God said, all right, I have a choice. I can just let them go, push them away, or I can do something about this. And as we sinned, chose against God, God said, I'm going to make a plan. I'm going to make a plan to redeem these people. I'm going to make a plan to keep them in my family. I'm going to make a way to bring them into my family 
so that they can still be with me and I can walk with them and I can live with them and I can experience them and we can be one again. That's my dream. God has dreams too. And that was his dream for us. That was his dream for you, for you to know him. And so he called out a guy named Abraham to build a nation. And he did, built a, a great nation out of which a Messiah would come. He got a guy named Moses and they took him to the spot where they were going to need to be. It was a crossroads of all of the earth so they could be a light to the nation. So when this Messiah came, all the people could hear and all the people could literally see through the temple and all the different ceremonies that seemed weird to us, all of these things that showed who God is revealing himself to them in a way that they could understand. And then he brought about a, a king. And they, they asked for a king, this David, this King David. And he made a promise to him that out of his line, there would be a king that would rule on the earth forever. This is where we're in the now, it happened, Jesus came, but we're not yet there. Anybody, Jesus, Jesus didn't run in the place, is he? I mean, have I missed something? We're, we're in the not quite yet of that. And so we experience some of the groaning and the struggles and the pains of that. And yet we're past the point where Jesus has come, where Jesus lives inside of us. The people before Christ yearned for the time when Jesus would come. Now we yearn for the time when Jesus will come again and restore things and redeem things to the way things are. Well, it seemed like it wasn't going to work out. David had a kid. His name was Solomon. It kept after him. This kingdom divided. And then they were ultimately exiled off to a couple of different places. One called Babylon. Another one, Assyria. A couple of places where we still fight wars today, basically. They're, they're, they're exiled off. And 500 years uh, ahead of Jesus, this is what happened to them. They were exiled off. And for 400 years between the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi, and then when Jesus came, 400 years, no prophets. Seemed like God was silent to them. They just had the old scriptures. Literally, generations came and went. No Jesus, no Jesus, no Messiah. And yet this promise was made. Let's look, it's 1,000 years before uh, Jesus came. This promise was made to David. It's talking to David, the king. When your days are finished and you lie down with your fathers, that means uh, you took a dirt nap, that's what that means. I will raise up your descendant after you, who will come from you, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be a father to him, and he will be a son to me. When he does wrong, now some of this doesn't apply to Jesus. I will discipline him with a rod of men, with strokes of son of man, mankind. But my favor shall not depart from him, as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from you. Your house and your kingdom shall endure forever before me, uh, endure before me forever. Your throne will be established forever. Jesus fulfills this promise from 
King David, he would have a, a, a descendant that would be his son. So look at me, we're here with Luke 2. This is where the promise is fulfilled. So a lot of scripture here, so hang with me, all right? I'll get there, probably. Now in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census uh, taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all the people were on their way to register for the census, each to his own city. Now understand, this is not like a census thing. We had some census gal come by our house. Man, she tracked us for 10 years trying to find out information from us. And we find like, you know, people have to go away. You need to leave. But it's not like that. This was a taxation. And if you did not pay your taxes, your property was confiscated. Wouldn't that be cool to, for the government to be able to do, hey, y'all pay your taxes. Or if not, I own your property. That's how it worked. So it wasn't like, uh, well, uh, maybe we'll do it. Or can we get an extension? It wasn't those programs. This was the Roman government. If you didn't show up on time at the right place, I take your property and I sell it off and the government owns it. That's the, that was the situation. Not fair, the way it was. So yeah, they had to go to this place, uh, Bethlehem. All right? All the people on the way to register for the census, each to his own city, because Joseph, even though he's from Nazareth, lived in Nazareth, uh, had property, family property, the family compound in Bethlehem. So Joseph, Joseph went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, which means house of bread, because all the grain from the country came from that small, small area. area. People, maybe a couple, three hundred people. He was from the house and family of David. In order to register along with Mary, who was betrothed to him, which is like somewhere between married and engaged to us. It's, it's more than that. You would actually, it was engaged, but you'd have to actually go through legal proceedings to disengage, okay? And was pregnant, uh, virgin pregnant, but that's not part of this. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in cloths, laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn, when that word inn really means guest room, kataluma. So here they are, this promise hundreds of years before, and now Jesus shows up. And he's the Redeemer King. All of these prophecies made about this one baby, and here he finally is. There's some three, four hundred plus prophecies about Jesus throughout the scriptures, throughout the Old Testament. The probability of these things actually happening is mathematically impossible. Now, the thing you got to watch about prophecy, sometimes it, it, it's not exactly um, chronological. So you'll get some prophecy here, and it'll tell you about that. And it's talking about one time, but right in the middle of it, it's talking about another time as well. So we've got Jesus being talked about here while he was there on earth. And then Jesus is talked about when he's in the millennium or, or when he returns uh, again. So we'll talk about that in a second. But all of these prophecies that were told about Jesus, absolutely impossible to fulfill. Three, four hundred plus of these. You know what the probability of eight of them being fulfilled is? I looked it up. 
There was a mathematician, because mathematicians have, you know, a lot of times on, time on their, times on their hands, I guess. So there's this eight prophecies. There's this number, it's called a meta number, and it's like 10 quadrillion. And here's how it is. So it's 17 zeros after 10, okay? So if you took 10 quadrillion silver dollars and laid them on the face of Texas, they would cover all of that state two feet deep. This is eight of them, not 400 of them, eight of them. And if you've ever been to Texas, we just moved from Texas. We just, 10 hours just to get to El Paso. I mean, I was like, my dear soul, get me out of the state. So two feet wide or two feet deep, mark one of those silver dollars and then stir it up thoroughly, which would upset the Texans. Blindfold a man and tell him that he can travel as far as he wishes, but he must pick up that one silver dollar that has the special mark on it. What chance would he have of getting the right one? The same chance that the prophecy, prophets would have had of writing these eight prophecies, only eight, and having them come true in any one man from their day to the present time. Mathematically impossible. And yet Jesus didn't just fulfill eight of them. He fulfilled over 400 of them. You can count on God's promises. And there was a plan. There was a plan for Jesus to come. And there was a plan for him to be the Redeemer. And he is the Redeemer King. See, Jesus didn't come to just redeem you. I think we think we're pretty special and we're pretty, we're pretty cool. But Jesus came to redeem the entire... See, he began with a perfect world that we sinned and messed up. In fact, the Bible says the whole earth groans for the time when Jesus returns. And he's not just redeeming us, which he has redeemed us. He is also redeeming the earth so that we can live in the same kind of place Adam and Eve lived in, the same kind of experience that they experienced, that they can know him, that they can walk with him, that his presence would not just be in them, but his presence would be among them and through them and about them and with us. We would walk with him and know him, and we would live in his light, literally. That's God's plan for us, and Jesus is that Redeemer King. He came to do all of that. But the first step in that is for Jesus to redeem you. I, I like the bumper stickers. Or sometimes people put them on their lawn. You've seen this, Jesus is the reason for the season. Seen that? That's so cool. Jesus is the reason for the season. And, and it's great because we've kind of gotten off about Santa Claus and gifts and things like that, that have nothing to do with Jesus. And so people are trying to remind us, hey, all this other stuff, that's not what this is about. This is about Jesus. Did you know this, though? Jesus kind of is the reason for the season, but more than that, you're the reason for the season. You are. Jesus came for you. Jesus is returning for you. Jesus wants to know 
you. And when Jesus began this kingdom, it's not made with hands and brick and mortar or whatever, that the materials, the physical things, or even government system or constitutions or, or monarchies or anything. He says it is written not with hands, but it is written, his law, on our hearts. When you receive Jesus, when you place your faith in him, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God, comes into you and lives with you. We're not in the direct presence of Jesus, but we are in the very presence of Jesus because he is in us through the Spirit of God. The Bible says we are one with him in Christ, and he is one with us. We already walk with him in the way that we will, even though it's not in the physical presence we have the spiritual presence of Jesus. He came to redeem us. Imagine all of these prophecies and then Jesus comes. And then the enemy, Satan, the devil, we, we just call him the jerk. I call him the jerk. Sees Jesus on the cross, shamed, naked, Paying the price for your sins and mine, the blood price that was required, the sacrifice that's required. We were during communion times, we remember it. And they look and they're laughing and they're scoffing at this Jesus person. And they're like, We have won. And the Bible says that in his shame, he shames them. He shames them. Because before everyone, he's paying the price for our sins. And these dummies don't even have a clue. Until Jesus goes to the end of it, three hours on the cross, six hours on the cross. And he says, it's finished. He yells, it's finished. It's done. And then they're like, oh crud. He paid the price. He did what he came to do. And then he shows up and says, listen, not nanny nanny boo boo, but almost. I've done it. I've paid the price. And then they're like, what has happened? What they wanted for shame, he shamed them and won the victory. And now, as the Redeemer King, he brings us into his family. And he rose again from the dead in victory even over death. And now the future, they're in massive chaos because it's just barreling down on them. Jesus came. Jesus died. Jesus rose again. Jesus ascended to heaven and is at the right hand of the Father. And he's just waiting for the word. Come on, get your people. And that's where we are the redeemer king he'll return and he'll take over on the millennium read with me in Isaiah 11 <coughs> I have a nasty cold so <clears throat> judge the poor and decide with fairness for the humble of the earth this is when he comes again he'll strike the earth with the rod of his mouth with the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Also, righteousness will be the belt 
around his hips and faithfulness, the belt around his waist. And the wolf will dwell with the lamb. This will be our experience. No more chaos, no more violence. The leopard will lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the young lion and the fattened steer will be together, and a little boy will lead them. Cow will bear, and the bear will graze. The young will lie down together. The lion will eat straw like the ox. The nursing child will play by the hole of the cobra. Get that image. Ah, good cobra. The winged child will put his hand on the viper's den, and they will not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain from the earth. For the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord, and the waters cover the sea. Amazing. That day the nations will resort to the root of Jesse. It will stand as a signal flag for the peoples. His resting place will be glorious. That will happen on the remnant of his people. That will happen on that day the Lord again will recover his hand the second time. The remnant of his people who will remain from Assyria, Egypt, Pathros, Cush, that's Ethiopia, Elam, Shiner, Hamath, and all the islands of the sea. He's going to return, and he's going to rule on this earth for 1,000 years, this earth. And then he will come again, and he will redeem the earth completely. There will be a new one, a new heaven, and a new earth. Look at this in Revelation. Revelation means he reveals this to us. This is a mystery from history. We're getting revealed to ahead of time. This is what we look forward to. I saw heaven open. Behold a white horse, and he who sat on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and wages war. His eyes are a flame of fire, and on his head are many crowns, and he has a name written on him which no one knows except himself. Like you'll read it, but you won't know what it means. Cool. He's clothed with a robe, dipped in blood. Ew. And his name is called the Word of God. The armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may strike down the nations and rule them with a rod of iron. And he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Came as a little innocent baby. Helpless, needful, he returns as the king who rules and reigns. He's the only one worthy of our worship and our lives. There's a new heaven and a new earth coming. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. There's no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among the people, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no longer, no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. But the first things have passed away. We're still in the first things. But the last things are coming. And Jesus is coming. He has come. He is coming. He has come and he wants to come to you today. And you can look forward to his coming to receive you again.
in all the earth, there are so many things that grapple for our attention. Every billboard, every commercial, oh my dear soul, I'm so tired of them. I need to buy this, I need to buy that, I need to do this, I need to vote for this, I don't care. So many things. Jesus is the one who has fulfilled the prophecies. Jesus is the one who has come. Jesus is the one who has paid the price for your sins. Jesus is the one who has conquered death. Jesus is the one that rules and reigns at the right hand of the Father. Jesus is the one coming to rule this earth. And Jesus is the one coming again to redeem the earth and all of heaven and all of the universe. And he is drawing you today to know him personally, not religiously personally you're the reason for the season and he's the only one worthy of our worship and our lives so this season what will it be like just another bunch of ads another bunch of black fridays a few good times and memories with families a couple of photo option uh, photo ops and what have you will it be a time where you expectantly look for Jesus to return? Will it be a time where you passionately experience who he is in your heart? That's a choice. Jesus is not going to make it. People are like, ah, I'm going to go to heaven when I die. They don't ever go to church. They don't ever do it. They don't ever follow you. Jesus is not going to, heaven and heaven, that new earth, we're going to have work to do. And we're going to have worship to do. God's not going to make us worship him then when we don't want to now. That's what this is all about. This is a test. This is an invitation time. Now, not yet. He's offering this. People think, oh, it's going to be fine. I'm going to go to heaven. Ignore God. Their whole, you know, flip, flip God the bird your whole life and then expect him to just pull you, usher you into his kingdom. That's not what God's doing. He's inviting us to be his family, and he's the only one worthy of our worship. Will you this season, will you this season make a choice? Receive a gift that is beyond any gift you could ever imagine. God, the God of the universe, living in you, breathing through you knowing him personally, closely, comfortingly, passionately, walking with you, knowing him. He has come, and he is coming, but he has come into this room, and he's inviting you to know him. Let's do this. Let's pray. And I'm going to invite you to take just a few moments and talk to the Lord and say to him whatever you need to. I'm just one of these crazy people that thinks God will talk to you. I don't know what he said from the sermon. A great deal from his word, I would hope, but most of all, he's speaking to you personally. So you respond to him personally right now. Just talk to him in your heart and your mind. Out loud if you want to. Nobody's going to think you're crazy here. Speak to him. And let him speak to you. Your first purpose 
as a human being is simply this, not to serve Jesus, not even to love God. Listen, your first thing, your first purpose is to let God love you. Jesus wants to give you a gift and everything else flows out of that because it's not from you. It's not something you do for him. Someone you received the gift of Jesus. Now, Jesus, this season, we remember what you've done for us and we look forward to what you are going to do for us in the future. And we thank you for what you're doing in us, for us and through us. Now you have saved us, you have redeemed us, you live in us. We want to know you this season. Make this the greatest Christmas season ever because it's not about anything but you, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, our Redeemer, our Savior, our Jesus. <laughs>